Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Pastor Craig, it's, it's good to have you, Pastor Jenny, with us. And um, if, you were, if you were out of the service this morning serving in another capacity in the church, uh, this couple, we love them. They're dear friends of ours. And uh, uh, the revelation that God has imparted to this man, this man on this subject is, is wonderful. And, uh, and I knew he would bless us and enrich our lives. And so uh, thank you for coming. He's has, he has a very busy schedule. Thank you for taking time to come here and ministering to us. Amen. So Pastor Craig Field, come on around and just uh, bless us. Share what's on your heart. Let loose and let God go. Amen. Amen. Like Brother Randy says, God is with us. I think you have him coming pretty soon, don't you? You're what a blessing he is. Pastor Jenny, just stand up, honey, and just say a quick hello, please. Come on now. Isn't she? She's my special sweetheart. Been married uh, 21 years. Go ahead, honey. I am. There I am. Okay. It's so great to be here. I love your church. I love the spirit here. Felt at home right as soon as we walked into the first service. I love your pastors. From the very first moment I laid eyes on them, they're dear to us. So we're so glad to be here. Yeah, I know. When God gives you a pastor, I'm telling you, it's a covenant relationship. It's for life. It is. God's blessed us, and we're glad to be here. I love Florida. I do. I'm from, I hail from the, the cold north. <laughs> and well, I love all four seasons. I must say, I could, I could get used to the warm weather here. Mm, it's beautiful. Anyway, it's a blessing to be here. Amen. Thank you, sweetheart. To introduce Pastor Dave and, and Kendall uh, Watcher, stand up and just greet everybody. They've been here before, but we're so glad to have them. They're dear friends of ours. They pastor in, in Warner Robins, Georgia, and so uh, they came down to be with us tonight and be in these meetings, so we're glad they're, they're here. Thank you for coming. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the precious anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, these people are busy people. They've got busy lives. And there's many places they could be and many things they could be doing tonight, but they've taken time to put you first, to come to the house of God and to camp around your word and to listen to what the Spirit of God would say to the church. So I thank you, Father, that you honor their faithfulness. You honor the fact that they put you first. And I thank you for impartations by the Holy Ghost tonight. That, Lord, impartations by the Spirit would go in, according to Romans 1.11, to establish them and to help them in their life. I thank you for revelation, wisdom and revelation knowledge in your word tonight. Father, we're not just wanting to just talk. We want revelation, Holy Ghost. We need you to be our teacher tonight. We need you to guide us and lead us into all truth. We need you to open the scriptures to us and to show us things to come and to reveal Jesus to us and the blood covenant and our great victory through it. So I thank you that you help, you help me tonight, that anointing makes it easy to listen to, easy to deliver, and easy to understand. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm just going to get right into it. Is that okay? <clears throat> so we remember we talked, just have a look quickly with me in Genesis chapter 15. 
Genesis chapter 15, just as a two-minute review from this morning. Genesis chapter 15 is a very important set of scriptures here. And Jesus had come in a pre-incarnate form to the earth many times in the Old Testament, but never did he cut a covenant except for this time that we can see in terms of a blood covenant. And remember, as I said this morning, covenant, it was, he didn't cut the covenant with Abraham. He cut the covenant with his son Jesus on Abraham's behalf. But remember, God doesn't need covenant with himself, right? The covenant's purpose wasn't for God and Jesus to have a covenant. They are already in covenant. The purpose why he did it was for us. The purpose why he did it was for Abraham and was by extension for all of Abraham's seed. Because if he didn't do it, we would be lost. So this goes to the very core foundation origin point of what we believe. And there is an assault against the blood in many churches today. I've heard that many of these secret sensitive churches won't take communion anymore because they say it's, a, it's an archaic ritual and it's not cool and it's not hip and modern. And, and it's... And it's, and it's they take, the, they take the blood out of many songs, many hymnals. They have removed the, the, the blood from those hymnals. I'm blessed to hear you singing about it. We, it. It is a core of our belief system, and we have to keep it forefront because the devil, and I'll get into a few couple stories in a minute, but I'll tell you something. The devil, uh, you know, we have many weapons in our arsenal, but the blood of Jesus, according to Dad Summerall, is one of the strongest weapons that we have in our arsenal against him. And so he is on an all-out effort to try to reduce and try to minimize and try to get people to not talk about it. Because when you understand it and you meditate on it and it's a daily thing for you, the blood can't just be a sermon you hear from a preacher now and then and then you don't think about it for three years. You've got to get to the point, and only revelation will get you to that point. I'm hoping that I can help you on that journey tonight. That you get to the point where every morning the first thing you think about is the blood. And if you start to do that, you'll start to see things change in your life. But we see here, he says uh, in, 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 in verse 7, I'm going to give you this land to inherit. He said, how will I know? And he said, take me a heifer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And verse 10, he took them and these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds he divided not. And when the sun went down, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Low horror of great darkness fell upon him. And we explained all that this morning. But go down there, please, to verse number 17. So Abraham's sleeping, Abram's sleeping. He had cut the sacrifice. He had made the path of blood. He had done all the manual work, so to speak, chased the birds away, kept it clean and pure. But then instead of him walking through, he falls asleep. And it wasn't that he was tired because he didn't have a nap. It wasn't because he was bored. God divinely put a deep sleep on him because God had to get him out of the way. Abraham, you can't be involved in this process anymore because if you walk, you die. Because when you walk and you call upon yourself the blessings and the curses of the covenant, if you break the covenant even one time, which inevitably you're going to do and your seed is going to do, you will have broken the covenant and you'll be eternally separated from God because you have death. You call upon yourself the curses of the covenant, which is what happened to those animals, which is death. So he has this master plan, which is called the mystery of the ages that even Satan couldn't figure out with all his brilliance, that the burning lamp, have a look there in verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those two, those pieces. And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, etc., etc. The burning, the, 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 the smoking furnace and burning lamp was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. 
before he came to the earth, of course, in the New Testament, he came and he walked the path of blood. And he called, he called, he's making it with his father, but for the purpose of Abraham and all his seed to enter into that covenant. And he's saying, Lord, if they obey the covenant, Father, bless them exceedingly. All the Deuteronomy 28 blessings. And if they disobey the covenant, don't let it fall upon them. Let it fall upon me. Let the curse of death come upon me as I am the substitutionary sacrifice. I am the mediator and the go-between for Abraham and his seed line. So he basically prophesied his own death because he knew they were going to fail. And he comes back 2,000 years later. And and now he's not just in the pre-incarnate form. Now he's come through the virgin birth. Now he's fully man, fully God, son of man, son of God. Now he has divine blood which will satisfy God's standard of redemption. But he's also fully human having been born of a woman, so he qualifies to save us because an angel can't save us. A man has to save us because a man represents us. So all God, all man, you know this, this is not new stuff. All God, all man, he comes and as as the seven sheddings of blood, he bled from his mind in the garden. He bled from his face when they beat him for our righteousness. He bled from his head for the curse of the law. He bled on his back when they whipped him. He bled when they nailed his hands and his feet and he bled from his side. Seven sheddings because it was a perfect sacrifice. And when he did that, what he was doing symbolically is he was walking the path of blood again, but this time his blood. Not some lamb's blood or goat's blood or calf's blood. And like I said before, it wasn't a perfect sacrifice because it could only cover. But now his blood cleanses. Now all those saints in paradise, they're clean. They don't just, they don't have a roommate of sin with them under a shield of the blood covering them. Now instantaneously they're free while they were in paradise. They couldn't go to heaven before because that, that sin nature was still there. But when Jesus died, he cleansed them. That's why he could take them to heaven with him. And everyone after that, which includes us, if we'll just accept that perfect sacrifice, that perfect blood sacrifice, that perfect blood cleanses, it doesn't just cover. Remember, we said it was perfect. And then we also said it was eternal. It never has to be repeated. It never has to be renewed every, every year on Yom Kippur, like the, like the high priest would have to go in and sprinkle. It's an eternal. And it is a free covenant. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do all the stuff that religion says you have to do. You just have to say, Lord, I believe I receive. It's the easiest, most powerful statement that you can make and then live it and walk in it. So it's perfect. It's eternal. It's free and it's open. It's for any human being anywhere in the world. What a, what a covenant we have. The burning lamp and the, fire, uh, the, the, the burning lamp and the smoking furnace came and walked the path of blood. And then he came many years later and fulfilled that promise, took the curse upon himself, became a curse for us, became sin for us, and didn't just wipe out all their sin, but wiped out all our sin. Now, you see, there's false doctrine going around in the body of Christ today saying you don't need to repent. You just repent once and it's forever. That's false doctrine. Because while Jesus has, listen now carefully, because these people that proliferate that, they just, they're not very logical, they're not very smart. I'll be honest, they really are deceived by demon power. Because if you just think about it, yes, Jesus paid everything at that cross. Everything was covered. But that doesn't mean once you confess one sin, you've confessed all the sins. Because while he's provided it all, you haven't yet received it all. You've received salvation, but then when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous, if we would confess our sin. At the time that we sin, not when we got saved forever, at the time we sin, if we would confess it. He would be faithful and just. You see, you can't just confess it once when you get saved and it covers everything forever and you can do whatever you want and live however you want and act like a devil. That's, that's false doctrine. Paul even said you're going to use grace as a license to sin. God forbid. 
No, we haven't received all that he provided, even though it's available to us. And every time we need it, we receive a little bit more of that, of that sacrifice of that blood. Amen. So I want you to see here, Jesus, whoo, my God, he did it for, he did it for me. I'm telling you, Jesus did it for me. He came to that cross and he took that sickness on his body. And I want you to look quickly at Luke chapter 23, verse 46. I'm just starting, I'm starting the, uh, the engine. Uh, <laughs> I'm starting, what does Pastor Debbie say, Jenny? I'm starting the chainsaw. Yeah, I can, I can, it's getting lubed up. So just be patient with me. All right, <laughs> Luke 23, 46, if you would be so kind. I hope you're ready because I believe you're going to get something tonight if you'll just open up your heart. So now we've talked about what he did in Genesis. Now we've talked about what he did on the cross. Now you understand he cut covenant with the Father on the cross. He cut covenant with God, but I enter in through the door, Jesus Christ, and through his blood. Now we see that he's on the cross, and he says in verse 46, Luke 23, 46, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father... Into thy hands I commend my spirit. That's the last statement he made. And having said this, he gave up the ghost. Into thy hands I commit or commend my spirit. Now, I studied this in the literal Greek. And what it literally means in the Greek is the word commit my spirit means to give to someone trusting in protection. What was Jesus knew at that moment he was a sinner. Remember, he was connected to God for eons, for all eternity. Even on the earth, he was one with his father. In other words, he, was, he didn't need to be born again because he was still close with his father. Sin never took hold of Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He was not born into a sin nature because he had divine blood. So unlike us, he didn't need to get saved at the age of accountability because he's the only human ever born that never had an age of accountability. He was always perfect. He was always sinless. He was tempted in all things and yet chose to say no. But innately he was pure. He never had, he never had a sin nature. So all his life he was in communion with the Father. He didn't need to get born again because he had never been lost. And even on the cross he was in communion with his Father. But at some point in that six hours, he died, he was crucified at nine, he died at three. At some point in that six hours. He obviously lost his connection with God the Father because he said, he said, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God had turned his back on him. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin. He didn't have it, he became it. John 3 talks about that he was, he was the snake. Our beautiful Jesus. It's hard for Christians to fathom this because we love him so much. But Jesus actually became a snake. He became the epitome of sin. He became evil. On that cross, and God couldn't accept him and couldn't look at him. And for the first time in the eons of eternity, Jesus and the Father were separate. And his heart was broken because he had never known what it felt like to be lost. And he's crying, Father, why have you forsaken me? God had to forsake him because he was now the snake. He was now sin. And he died as a sinner in that state. On behalf of every sinner that would ever die. On behalf of every sinner that did ever die. And he went into hell as an unsaved man. I don't know, I don't know if you realize that, but Jesus was a sinner because of you. He was not in of himself, but because of you and me. Because of Abraham and all the history of mankind, he became sin. 
He went to hell as a lost sinner. He went into hell as a sinner. Can you imagine that? The Jesus, you know, we see pictures of him. He weighs about 70 pounds. He's got a bad skin job and he's crying holding a lamb. That's not really what Jesus looked like, I don't think. Jesus was the perfection of of a man. I believe he was a handsome man. I believe he was a strong man. I believe that he was the perfection of what God made in a human. But he was so disfigured, he didn't even look like a human, Isaiah said. Because of the weight and the pressure of sin and evil on him. And God turned away and he was lost. And it's like what he was saying on that cross, and I want you to listen because he was saying this for you. He was saying, Father, I'll take their place. Pour the judgment on me. Remember the brass, the brass pole and the serpent. Brass always speaks of judgment in the Old Testament. Pour the judgment on me. When he took the last cup, I won't get into it because it take too long, but there were four cups they ate, they drank at the Last Supper. The last one was the cup of wrath. So that's why after supper, if you read the Bible, it says after they ate, he took the last cup. It was the fourth cup. It was known in the Jewish tradition as the cup of wrath. He took the cup of wrath and he said, this is the cup. This is the New Testament in my blood. What he's saying is, I drink it with me because I'm drinking, I'm going to the cross. I'm drinking the wrath of God. The wrath of God's cup is coming on me and I'm going to shed my blood to absorb and to satisfy the wrath of God. He was saying, let me pay their price, Father. Remember, he said it when he walked in Genesis 15, but he's saying it on the cross as well. He's saying, I'll pay their price. I'll drink the cup of wrath. I'll become the snake on the pole. I'll become the sinner for them. I'll become the spiritually separated one. I'll go into that realm and be lost, the eternal realm where hell is. And I'll be lost in this realm while I'm breathing oxygen. Jesus knew what sinners today feel like because he actually existed for a short time on the cross, breathing oxygen and yet separated from God. He knew what the sinner feels like today. And he also knew what every person that would go to hell, you know, many do go to hell. They don't need to, but they do. He knew what that felt like because he was lost and he went down into that pit as a sinner. And he did it for us. And we have to be very mindful of what he did so that we appreciate our salvation. Listen, if you appreciate your salvation, it'll help you live closer to God. You won't want to sin as much. You won't want to displease him. When temptation comes, it will be easier to say no when you understand what he went through for you. Because you won't want to hurt him. Jesus did this for us. Now, Ephesians 4, 9, if you'd look there with me. Ephesians, so he says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Why did he say that while you're looking that up? Because he knew he was going to hell. He knew what he was really saying was, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I trust you for my protection. That's what the Greek means. Why would he say that? Because he knew he was on his way to hell. And basically what he was saying is, Father, I'm a lost man. I'm going to hell as a sinner. So I give you my spirit. Protect me. That word in the Greek, the word commit means to protect. Protect me as I go into the underworld because I go as a lost man. And if you don't raise me up, I will be lost forever because I go as a sinner. Now he had already prophesied he was going to rise. So he knows the plan of God. But in that moment of separation from God, the heartbreak that he must have felt no human being can understand. And he's crying to his father saying, protect me. That's really what it means. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. What it's saying in the Greek is, protect me as I go to hell. 
I give you my spirit. If you don't call me forth, I'll be lost forever. And he descends like Dad Hagen did three times. Remember his story. I went to hell. He descends into that cavern. And I don't know what it must have been like, but I do know that he went there. Read Ephesians 4 with me if you don't mind. Ephesians 4, now I'll just reference scriptures. I won't read all of them, but read Ephesians with me, please. In verse 8, it says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now he that ascended, but what, it, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fill all things and he gave some apostles. Notice that's in brackets. It's like, a, it's like a, he's pausing the thought. He gave gifts unto men. Some of them were apostles, but he's now saying, pause for a second. Let me tell you, the same that ascended also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Jesus did go down. There's many denominations that don't believe he did. In fact, I've been called a heretic from Assemblies of God in Canada for preaching this because they don't believe that he went to hell. Let me tell you, my brother and sister, he did. And the Bible says that he did. And you better believe it because if he didn't go to hell for you, that's where you're going. He had to cover you. He had to take your place. He had to be the mediator and the go-between. If he didn't pay that price, that's where you have to go to pay that price. It wasn't just on earth. It was in both realms, the earth realm and the underworld realm. He was separated here and he was separated there. Because when you die separated in this realm, that's where you go. And he did both so that it would be a complete sacrifice. And he goes down into hell. He paid that price of sickness and poverty and curse and lack and all that on the cross. But then the ultimate penalty, which is separation from God spiritually, he goes down into that realm. It started on the cross, but it ended in hell. He started the sacrifice on the cross, but he completed it in hell. It wouldn't be a full salvation if he didn't go there. He had to go there. And so he goes there. And because he's a sinner, now listen, I just need you to think with me for a second. Second Corinthians 5.21 says he was a sinner. He became sin. Now listen, when you go to hell as a sinner, the Bible says what Jesus said with Lazarus and the rich man, as a sinner, you go to a place of torment. As a righteous man, remember in the Old Testament, they hadn't been cleansed, so they had to go to a holding tank until Jesus came to cleanse their sin with his blood because animal blood just covered it. So there's that paradise place, which is, a, which is Abraham's bosom, which is a chasm between the tormenting part and, and, and the, the fun party place, so to speak. Remember, they could see each other, do you remember? And they could talk to each other and they had feelings and emotions and he was thirsty and he said, give me a drop of water. Remember, there's a, the, you, your senses are alive there both in the tormenting place and in the paradise place. But when you're a sinner and you go to hell, you don't go to paradise, you go to the tormenting place. We know that. So Jesus went as a sinner. So he went to the place of torment for me. He went there so Craig would never have to go there. He went there so your unsaved family member would never have to go there. But if they don't receive the blood... It's not about confessing every sin because they can't remember every sin. It's not about works. It's about acknowledging the blood washed me. I receive it by faith today. If they don't do that, that's where they're going. They've got to get out of hell free card and so many won't use it. That's why you have to tell them to use it. He went as a sinner to a place of torment. Can you picture your Jesus? 
disfigured beyond any man, a sinner lost. God turned away from him and he goes down. He cries, protect me as I go. If you don't call me forth, I'm gone forever. And he descends and I, Dr. Defer- I don't know. The Bible doesn't give all this message, but Dr. Dufresne saw a vision one day. And he said, I saw Jesus in hell. And he said, I saw the bars. Remember, Jenny? I saw the bars and I saw him in those bars. And he said, the demons were jumping and shouting and reveling in drunken frenzy around him, shooting and hollering. And Dr. Frank saw Satan sitting on his throne, watching with glee as the son of righteousness is in prison in hell as a sinner. He's so stupid. He's brilliant, but he's stupid because he thought, I got him. Oh, but there's something called the mystery of the ages that Mr. Smarty Pants Devil did not figure out. And he's there as a sinner and he's there and he's not in paradise. You only get there once you're made righteous. He's in the tormenting part. Now we know he said to the man on the cross, today I'm going to be with you. You're going to be with me in paradise. Now, you brother, you judge. I'm willing to admit if I'm wrong, I don't know everything. But I know the Jewish day starts and ends at sunset at about 6 p.m., give or take, depending on what time of the year. When Jesus said today, I take him literally. He said that before 3 p.m. because 3 p.m. he went to hell. And he said, today, I'm going to be with you in paradise, not the tormenting place, the happy place. Now, if it's a literal day, it meant when he went there at 3, he had three hours before the day ended, if you take it literally. And the Bible says that he tasted death. He didn't have the full course and dessert. He had a nibble of an hors d'oeuvre. That's what it means to have a taste. He wasn't in hell the whole three days he was under there. If you study the Bible, and I have spent many, many hours, and I have a whole course just on that to prove, which I can't get into tonight. But I'm telling you, Jesus, I believe, was only in the tormenting part of hell for a very short period of time because he tasted spiritual separation from his father. It was just a taste. But he had to go through it for me and for you. And I don't know how long he was there, but I don't believe it was very long. He was in the underworld for three days, but he was in torment for a very short time because he only tasted spiritual separation. And I'm telling you, Dr. Dufresne said, I saw it, Craig. He said, I saw him in that cage. I saw the demons dancing. I saw Satan on his throne. And I'm just telling you what doctor saw. But this lines up with the Bible. He said, all of a sudden, a light came. And he said, those things were looking. And this light and this noise came into hell. Oh, my God. And I believe the father was sitting on his throne, looking at his son, paying your price, Jennifer, in that cage. And he's lost and he's a sinner and he's down and he's out. He's finished. And the only one that can raise him is the Holy Ghost. And he said, Holy Ghost, now, my God, the Holy Ghost came from heaven, bypassed earth, went into that, into that cavern. Can you picture what the demons who thought they won would have looked like? When a light from heaven, the person of the Spirit of God came into that cell, came into Jesus and raised his spirit man. He's alive, so to speak. He's not dead. 
He's just separated from God, but his spirit body is alive. But his spirit man is separated. And the Holy Ghost came into him in that cell the same way, Doug, that the Holy Ghost came in you years ago when you confessed him as your Lord. And the Spirit of God came and he removed sin by the blood and he made you open now to God What do we call it? A second time. Because as a child, you were born innocent. And babies go to heaven no matter where they come from in the world that they die young. Because your spirit was alive unto God as a child. And then you reached an age called accountability. And at that point, if you don't, according to Romans Romans 6, I believe it is, if you don't repent, then the law takes hold on you. The consciousness of right and wrong takes hold on you. And then you're lost. Paul said, uh, he, remember he said that in, the, in that verse, he said, when the law came, I died. But Paul physically was alive, but his spirit man died. That's why when you, at whatever age it was for you, for me, it was very young. For you, it might have been when you're older, but every human being has to come to a place where they say, Jesus, I receive you. Let your blood remove. See, sin blocks me from the Father. I had access to God when I was a child. But when I understood eternal consequences, sin came. And I can't talk to Papa anymore. My spirit man is dead unto God. It's not dead like it doesn't exist. It's not alive unto God. It's blocked. But when the Holy Ghost comes in with the blood and removes that blockage, I have now access to the Father a second time. I am now born of the Spirit a second time, which is why we call it born again. A lot of Christians don't even understand what born again means. You were born of the Spirit when you were physically born without choice. But then you had to come to an age of accountability with choice, and that's when you became born of the Spirit again, and you had access with God a second time. Jesus, do you realize, he also got born again. But he never had an age of accountability because he never sinned. But on that cross, he lost his salvation because of your sin. And he went down as a sinner because of your sin. And he paid the price in hell because of your sin. And the Holy Ghost came in, in front of Satan himself. And came into his spirit and made removed with his own blood. Removed the sin of humanity Jesus wasn't personally a sinner. He was, but it wasn't his wrongdoing. It was your wrongdoing on him. And the Holy Ghost with Jesus' own blood washed away that blockage and made Jesus access to the Father a second time because he had it for all the eons and only for a short while on the cross and in hell. He is separated from daddy. But now, brother... Now the Holy Ghost comes in and makes him born a second time. He is born of the Spirit again. He was and he lost it because of me. But he became born a second time in hell. Can you picture? Can you picture? Think of him. Use your Holy Ghost imagination. He's in a cell. A light comes in. Raises him up. I don't know what he looked like, but he, I think he probably stood up. He stood up and his spirit man became alive unto his father a second time. And I believe he looked up through the supernatural realm and he saw God. I'm, I don't know because it doesn't say, but I, listen, Jesus never been away from daddy. For the moment that he got saved, you don't think he'd look up and acknowledge his father? 
when he's in a love relationship with his father, I believe that he looked up and he saw through the realms. And he saw him and he said, Father, he's alive. Born of the spirit again. Whoa, my God. And I don't know what it looks like, brother, but I'm telling you, I believe that right after he did that, he glocked his eyes with Satan. (laughs) Can you imagine? He wore depends that day, I'm telling you. (laughs) Satanic depends. Can you imagine on his throne? A light invades his realm. Raises up his captive. The first man to ever be born again was Jesus. And he looks and acknowledges his father. And then he looks with fury and rage at Satan. And the power blasts those bars. And demons go go like little raccoons out the way. Now doctor said, right or wrong, you ask him. That's what he saw in the vision. He said, I saw him walk over to Satan. And he said, give them to me. The keys of hell and death. And Satan handed them reluctantly. I don't know if this is what doctor said. It's on the Bible, but you can think of whatever. I don't care what you think. I think it's true. He said he reached those long Galilean legs. And he said he was obviously, Jesus is fit. He's not like me and you. He's fit. And he said he lifted up his leg and he kicked him with his heel square in his forehead and knocked him backwards. He did a somersault over back his throne and landed behind his throne. Knocked him in his head and knocked that fool right off his own throne. Talk about poetic justice. Talk. We're going to see that in Blu-ray or something in heaven. That's the first movie I'm going to watch. It ain't going to be Mission Impossible or, you know, Top Gun or something. I'm going to say, Jesus, show me what that fool looked like when you knocked him between the eyes. He took those keys. He knocked him off his throne. He took his authority away from him. That's what the keys represent. My God, I don't know, maybe I'm weird, but it just thrills me. It thrills me. I'm going to read some scriptures very quickly because you get offended with me if I don't. John 3, 5 says that you must be born of the Spirit. Now, listen, when it says he was raised from the dead, raised means body, third day. But anytime you see the word born in the Bible, it's speaking of the Spirit. Born equals spirit, raised equals body. He was raised on the third day, but he was born of the spirit on the first day. You understand? He wasn't in there tormented for three days. The devil was, he was tasting death. He didn't have a full course of it. Now, all these scriptures, you don't have to write them if you don't want, but I'm just saying it on record. This all, and there's others, I'm just giving you some, that talk about Jesus was the first born again man. It's all the way through the New Testament. A lot of people don't even know that. So I asked somebody, is Jesus born again? And they said, no. I'm the only one that's born again. No, my brother and sister, you couldn't get born again if Jesus didn't get born again first. You followed his footsteps. You are his first fruits. You are called the firstborn church. But Jesus was first. He has preeminence. You're not first, he's first. There is a born again man in the Godhead today. And his name is Jesus. (laughs) 
Colossians 1, 15 to 18, the firstborn from the dead. Revelations 1, 5, the firstborn from the dead. Romans 8, 29, the firstborn among many brethren. Hebrews 12, 23, we're the church of the firstborn. Hebrews 1, 6, we're the firstborn of the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, we are the first fruits of those who are to be resurrected. James 1, 18, us being born again makes us Jesus' first fruit. Because he was first and we're his harvest. We're many brothers that he, that he reconciled to the Father. But I'm telling you, he was the first one. My God, he was the first one. Now, the Greek lexicon says this about the word firstborn. Firstborn of the dead, all these things say firstborn. It says, speaking of Christ as the firstborn of a new humanity, which is to be glorified as its exalted Lord is glorified. The Greek lexicon says, we as the church of the firstborn are part of a new humanity. When Jesus was in that pit and he got born again, I don't think you understand what happened. He became the first of a new species of humans. When you go see that guy at the grocery store or your coworkers, your neighbors, and they're not saved, I don't know if you understand, they look like you. They smell like you. They talk like you. They act like you, hopefully not completely, but you know what I mean. They drive a car like you, but they are actually a different species of humanity. They are the old species. They are the analog version. You are the digital version. You are the upgraded version. You are a new humanity. They are not like us. We are completely different. We think different. We speak different. We act different. Jesus was the firstborn of a new humanity. He started a new race. This race of human beings that could have God live in them. Because the Old Testament, he was around them. And the angels even longed to look into the things of salvation. They can't figure out how they can travel faster than light and we can barely run a mile in four minutes. And that's if you're fit. How could this pile of literal dirt, that's what we are, dust, how could this dirt pile have God? You that I see in the glory, in that, at least go in me. I, I'm, I'm an angel. I have amazing powers. Jennifer can fly. Jennifer has to sleep eight hours a day. Angels are completely different species. Yet God said, despite your wonders... I won't live inside you. And in the Old Testament, you're humans, but because of the covenant, because of the blood, I can't live inside you. I can live around you. But now, a new species of humanity was born. And listen, brother, in hell! That's what gets me. In hell, the new species came forth. Where God now can live inside a human, and Jesus was the first one. And he comes up, as you know, he does a few things, but then he comes and he gets the disciples in the room. And if you read it, the Bible says, he breathes on them. It was like a Benny Hinn service. Benny, 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 you know, he infringed copyright infringement. He does the thing like we talked about this morning. Everybody falls down and he breathes on people. He needs to give royalties to Jesus. Jesus came up with that. He breathed on it. What did he say? Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Not the baptism, but the Holy Ghost to come inside of you and make you 
like me, born of the Spirit a second time. A new species of humanity. It's amazing. It's amazing, brothers and sisters. You are a new species. You're not like your sinner friends. And if you're acting like them and talking like them, you better, you better smarten up because he made you a new species. Act like it and live like it. And the way you do it is not being conscious of sin, but being conscious of the covenant and the blood. Conscious of who he made you. Conscious of your righteousness. Conscious of your dominion. Then you'll live like it if you think like it. Praise God. I don't know if it's coming out right or not, but anyway. For your reference, Revelations 1.18, he takes the keys. I am he that liveth and was dead. I am he that liveth and was separated from my father. Where? In hell. And behold, I live forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell. And where did he get it? Where he was separated. We see there's other things, but there's a few main things he did. He got saved. He took the keys. Then he went over to Tartarus, which is one of the seven levels of hell. And he went to preach to the angels. And I've done a long study on that, but the very short version of it is these angels came before the flood and after the flood, had sex with women on earth with the express purpose of two things, to block his seed line so that he could never be born and or to raise up these mighty half angel, half humans like Goliath to kill the Israelites who held the seed line. When David fought Goliath, you have no idea how important that battle was. If David had lost, Jesus could never have been born. David was the direct descendant for the line of Christ. And that angelic man slash, he's a freak. He's a demigod, really. He's got angel in his bloodline and he's got his mother, which is human in his bloodline. If they can't breed Jesus out, they're going to raise up giants to kill his seed line. You understand? Now those angels, if you study the book of Jude, have a special punishment. Because they left their first estate and they went and messed around with women. And that's against God's law. And those angels are held in chains in a place called Tartarus. It's a special place only for those angels that committed that sin on earth with women. To block him. And the Bible says that he went to preach to the angels. Oh my God, I wish I was there. Jesus has just been saved, knocked Satan off his throne, took the keys and said to those demons, I'm going to preach. First oh Peter 3.19 says he went to the fallen angels. Jude 1.6 says he went to the fallen angels in Tartarus and he preached. What did he preach? We don't know, but I tell you, it went something like this. You tried. And I want you to know that I came, I won. Your boss is lying in a pool of his own pee by his throne. I have holding the power. I am the first born again man and you lost. Enjoy eternity. And he walked out. This is Jesus. And then he goes over the gulf and obviously he didn't have to get a parachute or a plane. He's flying. He goes over the gulf. He can't get to the place of paradise if he's a sinner. That's why he had to be born again first. Now he's righteous before his father. Now he's the first born again man. And he crosses, can you imagine? Every Old Testament saint is in that place looking across the gulf. And they see Jesus starting to fly over to... 
I can't, I can't, I can't fathom it. Can you imagine the roar? Adam, Noah, Balaam. He was a jerk, but hopefully he made it. Jonah, Moses, Caleb, Joshua, Micah, Amos, Ezekiel, and Papa Abraham. All of them, plus all the millions that we don't know their names, that died in a state of righteousness. Remember, they had to believe God when they were alive and when they died, and it was counted to them for righteousness, according to Genesis 15. And that got them in. Now, we have to live. They have to do it by faith at death. And it was counted for righteousness. Now we live in faith and we become righteous. It's not counted to us. We actually are righteous because of the two different covenants. But I just, I think about it sometimes, Pastor David. I think about what would it sounded like. Every Old Testament saint that died in a state of righteousness because they died in faith that the Messiah would come. Under the blood covering the old covenant, the lesser covenant. But they're in that place. And they're waiting for years. And all of a sudden, they see him coming. (laughs) Can you imagine the roar that would have come from those people as they welcome Jesus, the Messiah, and he lands? It's it's amazing to me, sir. And I can't prove it, but but you can't disprove it either. I believe the very first person he spoke to was Grandpa Abraham. That's just my opinion. Because he cut it with the father at Abraham's side. And I think the first thing he said was, Abraham, I am the burning lamp. I am the smoking furnace. I was the one that walked the path while you slept. I came back and paid it and fulfilled it and died on the cross and knocked the devil's head off. And I've got the keys. Abraham, you did it. I did it. Oh, my God. Can you imagine what that scene would have been like when there's that many people? Listen, when Jesus went, he only tasted torment. I believe the vast majority of the three days, they were having the biggest party, that paradise. They were catering. They were trying to find caterers. They, I mean, they were ordering Subway and everything you can imagine because they're going to feed millions of people and Jesus is there. And I think most of the time he was just doing high fives. Jono, Jonah, how you doing, buddy? Wish you'd listen faster. How you doing, Amos? Good to see you, buddy. Everybody wants a piece of him. A big party. And then, of course, the time comes Easter morning, Sunday morning, and he says, boys, are you ready? Oh, Jesus, we're ready. We've been waiting a long time. Are you sure you're ready? Because we're going to go up. Now, what's going to happen, boys? So just listen to me now. Some of you that lived in Jerusalem, the graves are going to open, and there's going to be an earthquake when I come out. Because the ground itself is going to welcome me. Because the rocks have to cry out to praise me. And I want you to go for just a few minutes. And I want you to knock on doors. That's what they did. The Bible says the dead came back to life on that morning and went to knock on the doors in Jerusalem to tell them. What do you think they're telling them? Jesus is the Messiah. He just took us out of paradise. We're going. You need to get born again. And he sees Mary. Oh, Jesus. Remember, she thought he was going. Don't touch me. Why? When he comes back, if you read it carefully, there were three women the next time and he let them touch him and hug him and he blessed them. But the first one was Mary only. And he said, don't touch me. Why? Because he had just come out of that grave and he's holding 
his precious blood. And a sinful, anyone that is a part of the sin nature would compromise that blood. He says, don't touch me. Not because he doesn't love her, but because she can't violate that blood. Why? Don't touch me. I have to ascend. Remember, he who ascended first descended. I have to ascend to my father. Now, let's talk about what he did. Are you still with me? Are you okay? You sure you don't want to go home and watch a movie? I want you to notice three things that he did when he was in heaven. Number one, look at me, look with me, please. In Hebrews chapter 9, he put his blood on the mercy seat. Hebrews 9 and verse 24. In fact, I'm going to start reading at verse 22 and try to read as fast as I can. Actually, I'm going to know where is it, Lord? Uh, 12, oh God. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. In other words, if the old covenant animal blood would clean, would, would sanctify, how much more, verse 14, shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, your sinful, condemned conscience from your past dead works so that you can live free and serve God. How much more? And for this cause, he is the mediator, the go-between of the new covenant that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. In other words, there's no power and the person who, who wrote that will dies. Because it's the old will, the old covenant, the old testament. It's the same, same thing. For a testament, verse 17, is of no force or power until after men are dead. Obvi- otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first covenant was dedicated without blood. In other words, what he's saying is the covenant had no power until Jesus died. When he died and he rose, the covenant had force. What is it? The blood covenant gained power when he died and rose again. That's why you'll never see the disciples casting out using the blood because the blood had no power because it hadn't been shed. But after it was shed, now we don't just have his name. Now we have his blood and his name because until he died and rose, there was no force to that covenant of blood. But now that he's died, it's full of power. Now watch now, you with me? Wherein neither is the first testament was dedicated without blood. Now, for when Moses, in other words, he's saying, even in the old covenant, they use blood. That's what that verse means in simple English. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water, that represents the word, with scarlet wool, that represents his suffering, with hyssop, that represents faith, and sprinkled the book, are you listening? And all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament which God has charged or enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. What he's simply saying is, and I want you to catch this, Paul or whoever wrote this book is trying to get something over to us. He's trying to say, in the Old Testament, the high priest took animal blood and the wool represented the suffering 
because Jesus was going to suffer. It's all symbolic. The water represented, according to the scriptures, because water represents the word, and the hyssop represented faith. It always represents faith. And he took those, those three things, and they would, over running water, he'd take that and he'd dip it in blood, and he would sprinkle the book of the law. He would sprinkle all in the holy of holies, like the high priest would do. Moses was the first high priest. He would do that. Then listen now. He would come out. I'm trying to help you understand what Paul is saying here. He would come out and he would take that blood. Now I want you to imagine that you're an Israelite and you've gathered once a year the most holy holiday, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And you're standing there watching quietly as he goes into sprinkle and he comes out and he sprinkles the book of the law with animal blood. Then he took that same hyssop and wool and he would sprinkle the people. Now let's say you're an Israelite. You know what that would have felt like and looked like? The high priest would have come and he would have done this to you and blood, physical animal blood would have spattered across your face and down your, your, your clothes and he would move on to the next person. He sprinkled people and the elements of ministry in the tabernacle with blood. Why? Why is Paul telling us this? Because the people once a year had to be reminded, I'm a covenant man. And the blood of the covenant is on me. And for another year, whatever I do is under that blood. Yes, it's not removed, but at least God is pleased with me because he sees the blood, not my sin. If I just obey him and I don't get in rebellion and I stay in this covenant, he will bless me, he will protect me, he will guard me, he will lead me, he will give me favor with my adversaries. But they felt the blood, I'm trying to get you to see something, they felt the blood be sprinkled on them once a year as a physical display and reminder, you are a covenant man. You are not just whoever. You are a blood-bought covenant man. Now feel the blood on your face. Now go the next year in remembrance and in reverence of this covenant. And that says, this is the blood of the covenant that was enjoined to you. The word enjoined means commanded. In other words, he's saying, obey the covenant. This blood of the covenant, this book of the law, I am sprinkling you to remind you, you are a covenant man, you are a covenant woman, and you have the authority and the power and the, quite frankly, the expectation to obey this law. I expect you to live the next year in obedience to the covenant. And God will bless you. And God will protect you. And God will cause all the Deuteronomy 28 blessings. But there was once a year a physical reminder of blood. You say, what does that to do with me? Well, it's in the New Testament. Paul's not just telling us a cute story. He's telling us something because he's trying to get you to understand. If they did that in the Old Testament, and then Jesus took his blood, and he did the exact same thing in the heavenly realm, because there's a replica. Earth was built as a mimic of heaven. There is a holy of holies in heaven. There is all those tabernacle items in heaven. And Jesus entered in with his own blood. And he went to heaven and he sprinkled the holy of holies like the high priest did on earth. And what Paul is telling us here is if they did it in the old covenant and they honored the blood. And they obeyed the word. And Jesus did it when he rose and he sprinkled it in the heavenly place. 
How much more should we, if they did it in a lesser, how much more should we in the better and the new covenant, knowing it's been done in heaven, how much more should we also remember the blood, sprinkle the blood, emphasize the blood, reminisce about the blood, preach about the blood, sing about the blood, and on a daily basis show reverence for the blood. That's what Paul is trying to get over to us. If they did it like that in the old once a year, you should do it every day. Can I keep going? Verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, because they had to be the better sacrifice of of Jesus. But for Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, that's on earth, which are figures of the true. The earth, it's just a mimic, a figure of what is in heaven. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not yet that he should offer himself often. Remember I said this morning, this is not an expiry date like animal blood. Not that he should offer himself often. As the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. Often since, but he's not suffering often. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put sin away by the sacrifice of himself. One time he entered, he never enters again. Remember the old covenant that to do it every year. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, let's say that there's Moses speaking and then there's I, and then we, me and you are speaking. Okay? People under Abraham, not, sorry, Moses, Moses was the one that was doing this. Right? Because he started this. Now let's say that the people under Moses are talking and now we're talking and look at the parallel. The ones in the old covenant would have said, I have covenant because of the small letter B, blood. Blood of animals. But the believer today says, I have a covenant because of the capital blood of Jesus. But you know, they talked about it. They reminded themselves every year of it. We should do the same. They would say, this covenant has life, strength, or force in it but it's only the blood of animals. We say our covenant has life, strength, and force, and it's fully alive because it's the blood of Jesus. They would say this covenant is real and has a degree of life in it. I say this covenant is fully alive, not just outside me on my face, but inside me. They say this covenant was made with our father Abraham many years ago. We say this covenant was made with our Jesus 2,000 years ago. They say God's, they say I have covenant with God because of this animal's life. And that is real to me, to me, outside, to me today. I say this is, I have a covenant with God because of Jesus' blood that is not just real to me, it's real in me today. You see the differences of the two covenants. They say I honor the covenant by sprinkling the blood and reminding the bl- of us of the blood. We say, I show honor for the covenant by speaking the blood. What they sprinkled in the Old Testament, you speak in the New Testament. How do you show reverence for it? 
you speak. Everything in the New Testament is by words. You got saved by words. You got saved by words of faith. How do you honor the blood? Words of faith. They did physical sprinkling. We do verbal sprinkling. When you talk about it, when you take time every day to meditate on it and to thank God for it, what you're doing is sprinkling. And I asked the Holy Ghost once, I said, Lord, they did it once a year. How often should I do it? Now, you don't have to believe me if you don't want, but that's what I heard him say. He said, animal blood is worthy to be honored yearly. But my blood is worthy to be honored daily. Now you take that or leave that. But I believe it's God's intention for us to sprinkle it, not once a year, but every day. How do we sprinkle it? With our confession, with our praise, with our reverence. When we talk about it and we meditate on it, we are sprinkling the blood on our lives. Now, the blood's already on us because we're saved. We're not sprinkling because we're not saved. We're saved. It's on us. But you need to stay constantly conscious of the blood. Why? Because when you think about the blood, you will remember one simple thing. I am a covenant man. That's why I'm, I'm trying to get over to you. David meditated, and when they saw the Goliath, and they were all looking at the natural, David simply said, he uncircumcised. What's he saying? He ain't covenant. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how big cancer is. I don't care how big the financial problem is. It ain't covenant. If you live in a revelation of covenant, sickness won't bother you. Uh, financial stress won't bother you. Uh, muggers in the alleyway won't bother you. A plane maybe going down won't bother you. Nothing. COVID won't bother you. If you live in a place of conscious reality of the blood covenant and that you are a covenant man with God himself and all you have, he has. And all he has, you have. And your name has been changed. You are now a Christian, a little Christ. And you tithe because you give him of your substance and he gives you of his substance. And when you're sick, he gives you of his healing. If you live in a state of consciousness of the covenant, it'll change everything about you. And how do you do it? I, I, you do it your own way, but I'm just saying, in the Bible, they did it once a year. I believe God put that in there for us to realize they did it yearly. Jesus did it once in the Holy of Holies. But we are to show reverence for it on a regular basis by reminding ourselves. How do we sprinkle? We speak. I wake up and I say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm a covenant man. I am not, Craig Field does not own Craig Field. I can't just sin. I can't just smoke pot. I can't just watch porn. I can't just lie. I can't just do whatever my flesh might want to do because Craig does not own Craig. I have been bought with a price called the holy blood of Jesus. And what you did for me purchased me. That means I am owned by you. That means I am a covenant man. And today, before I get out of this bed, I remind myself that I'm a covenant man. I remind myself the blood is here to protect me and to bless me and to guard around me. I'm a covenant man with blood on me. I'm serious. I do that before I wake up. Oh, how can you be afraid of COVID if you do that? You're looking for COVID to knock its head off. 
How can you be afraid of finances when you woke up and the first thing you did is you sprinkled blood on you? You spoke the blood. You understand, I am not my own. I'm a covenant man. Thank you for the blood. There it goes. Thank you for the blood. There it goes. Thank you. I apply the blood to my property line. I apply the blood to my children. I apply the blood to my cars. I apply the blood to my investments. I, I'm a new species of humanity. I'm crazy. They think I'm crazy. They, are, they do. I was in India. 30 people surrounded me to kill me. I don't get the whole story because I don't have time, but I'm telling you, it was a life and death. The pastor didn't show up to pick me up because he got the date wrong. The most dangerous area in Delhi. They killed white people there every week. Decapitated them, left their head on the platform. And they surrounded me with weapons. And I'm looking at them. I have my guitar. Because you know when you're on the missionary, there's nobody to sing, so you have to sing yourself. And I look at them and I, and I feel fear grip me. And I heard the Holy Ghost. And they said, you got to listen to the Holy Ghost. I heard, because I, I meditate on covenant. But even at that moment, I felt afraid. But the covenant rose up with them. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, spin, spin. And I just started spinning with that thing like this. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking so stupid, but I'm just spinning with that guitar. And then I heard these words come up out of my spirit. I curse you by the blood of Jesus. And then I heard him say, stop spinning and look. And I stopped and all 30 people were frozen like statues. Frozen. And I'm like, this is so cool. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, move. In other words, don't stand and smell the roses. And what I thought was a man, but it was an angel. He told me later, a little Indian man came through the crowd and said, I've been sent to help you. And I said, I'm just looking at them. And he said, come with me. And I heard the Lord say, move. And so I went through and we got up to this little three, you know, demonic rickshaw, the three thing, you know, three wheels. They drive like they're bats out of hell. And we get up to the top of the hill and I'm getting in the rickshaw and I'm looking down and that the, the power of God that froze them was starting to lift and they were looking for me with their weapons. And I said, nah, 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 nah. And then I said, drive, hurry up. Because I didn't, you know, you don't want to mock them and then all of a sudden he can't start his rickshaw or something. Start the rickshaw, put it in idol, let me mock them and then we go. I'm telling you, my brother and sister, uh, we, have to, we have to live in a place of a conscious reality of covenant. How do you do it? Speak it. Every day, as much as you can, not religiously, not legalistically, but out of your heart. Make sure you force yourself if you have to. Father, thank you. I'm not my own today. I'm yours. I'm covered with the blood. I speak the blood. I thank you for the covenant. You're going to protect me today. You're going to guard me today. You're going to bless me today. Deuteronomy 28 works for me today because of Jesus' blood. And better than even what they had because the blood has better promises in the new covenant. Hallelujah. Mm-mm-mm. Romans 12, 11, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word, the word of our testimony. Testify about the blood. Testify what the blood has made you. I'm healed today because of the blood. I'm strong in my bones today because of the blood. If you've got to grow somewhere, say, I'm free because of the blood. What are you saying? You're emphasizing covenant. You're emphasizing covenant. You're keeping your mind totally consumed with covenant. Covenant. 
You'll see nobody even has to lay hands on you. That thing will just leave you. The dominion of your covenant will push it out of you. Hallelujah. Praise God. We testify of it. We magnify it. Let me quote you something that brother, I hope I have it here. Uh, Maybe, oh, I hope I have it here. Yes, Dad Hagen said this, I quote, people would have less issues if they'd magnify the blood more. Kenneth Copeland said this, we need to begin developing a consciousness of Jesus' blood, a consciousness of our blood covenant with God. When the devil comes against you, with, when sickness and diseases come against you, when fear, worry, harm, or poverty come against you, remember the covenant and speak the blood. And we've got to do it, brother and sister. If you take anything from this message, to morning and tonight, take this, wake up tomorrow, and start to train yourself. If you think you might forget, put a reminder on your phone. And the first thing you see is, thank Jesus for his blood. Thank Jesus for his covenant. And start to say, Lord... I'm not alone today. I walk with a giant. I'm a covenant man. I'm not my own. I'm bought with that holy price of his blood. I'm a blood man. I'm a covenant man. I'm covered. I'm washed. Now listen, if you do that, you'll stop thinking about all your sins. You'll stop thinking about all your condemnation, all your guilt, all your sin consciousness. You will have a revelation. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm in right standing with Father because of blood. Devil, your lies and accusations fall flat. I'm a righteous man. I have dominion today. I'm a blood covenant man. But if you don't talk it, it won't work for you. It's available, but you have to sprinkle it. And then what did he say? He wasn't just sprinkling, Pastor. It was, I sprinkle you with the blood. Now, this is the covenant enjoined, commanded to you to obey it. You can't talk about the blood and then go off disobeying the word because the covenant of the word has to be obeyed in conjunction with the revelation on the blood. Then the power starts to work. You can't disobey the word and walk in unforgiveness but be talking about the blood all day. You can't hate your brother and talk about that. You can't rob the tithe and talk about the blood. You've got to obey the covenant. Praise God. And talk about that. And then watch what happens. Oh, Jesus, help us. My God, my God. It's 8.05. I don't know. Should I do my last point, Pastor, or are you tired of me? Oh, Jesus. Mm. Praise God. Okay, Ephesians 4.8. I just don't want to tire you out. You'll never like to listen to Canadians again. I just don't want to tire you out. But, but maybe, maybe I, there's three things he did. He put his blood on the mercy seat. The Bible says he led a train of vanquished foes, led captivity captive. And then he gave gifts unto men. First three things he did when he got to heaven. Remember, we talked about all this. He went to hell and Satan himself witnessed the first conversion to born again. Satan was the audience for the first altar call in history. Satan is afraid of altar calls because it reminds him that he went a somersault off his throne. I love it. It's so poetic. I'm so grateful Jesus did it in front of Satan. He is tormented by that for eternity and good for him. Then he comes, he crosses. They roar for him. He crosses over. They come, they do some stuff. Then he takes his blood. He puts it on the mercy seat. Now we do the same by sprinkling with our mouth. But the next thing he did might, if you have a wig, 
Hold on to it. Put extra glue because I promise it's going to flip. As Randy says, give you a permanent wave. It's not as funny when I say it, but it's funny when Randy says it. And I'll close with this last part. Because remember, he, he put the blood on the mercy seat. Then he led captivity captive. Then he gave gifts. The last one is he gave you Pastor Edwin. You know, the third thing Jesus did out of everything he could have done is he gave you a pastor. Because he knows you have to be taught how this blood covenant works, how your dominion works. He, you need to be taught. So it's not just good that it happened. If you don't know it, it can't benefit you. So he gave you five offices to teach you. That's how important the local church is to God. The third thing he did, he ratified the covenant by putting his blood. That means he completed it. Then he led captivity captive, which I'm going to explain to you right now. And then he gave you Pastor Edwin. I'm telling you, you're going to think about that, how important it is to God that you have a pastor and that you're faithful to that pastor. Because you can't come into the fullness if you're not faithful to it. But Ephesians 4, 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. We know the angels. Can you imagine, Pastor Edwin, the roar of the angelic host in heaven as they watched with bated breath the Son of God lost and separated. And then they watched him get born again. And they watched him look up. And they watched him lock eyes. And they watched him charge Satan. Can you imagine the angels? (gasps) Believe me, if you... If you cheer for the Gators or the Seminoles or whoever you cheer for, can you imagine what the angels sounded like when they watched their precious Jesus get saved and knock Satan off his throne? There was a roar coming from heaven. Can you imagine the roar of all the Old Testament saints as he floated over to them? (sighs) Can you imagine... After he says, Mary, don't touch me, he takes his butt. Can you imagine? He, oh my God, he walks into heaven as the first born again man with holes in his hands and his feet, and he's holding his life blood. Can you imagine every angel would have knelt before him in holy homage on those streets of gold as he walked to the Father? This is what I went for. Son, go put it on the mercy seat. That it would cry mercy for Jennifer forever. And he goes and he sprinkles it. That's the first thing. He had to sprinkle it because Dad Hagen told us the covenant wasn't finished till he put the blood there. It wasn't finished when he said it's finished. It means what he needed to do on the cross in this realm was done. But he still has to go to that realm. And until the blood went on the mercy seat, it wasn't a done deal. So the first thing he did is he put the blood there to seal and ratify it. But then the second thing he did, are you ready? He led captivity captive. Now I've heard a bunch of nonsense preachers for years tell me that that was the new Old Testament saints that he led into heaven. And that is not true. Because the Greek definition of this word led captivity captive. Let me read it to you. It means, it means captivity, means bondage, darkness. It means a prisoner of war. The the Old Testament saints, Abraham, was not a prisoner of war. He was not darkness. He was not the enemy. He was a saint. 
So people have said for years, he led captivity, meaning Old Testament saints. He led them into heaven captive, but they're not prisoners. They're now clean. So it can't mean the Old Testament saints from paradise. So what does it mean? Would you look please quickly, I know we're going to close, but would you look please at the Amplified Classic Version of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Amplified Classic Version, because it gives us a glorious hint of what this actually means. So where are we again, Jennifer? Help me. Ephesians. I'm just seeing that she's paying attention, Pastor, because sometimes I've got to keep an eye on her. Now the, now the Amplified Classic says this. Wherefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He led a train of vanquished foes. And he bestowed gifts unto men. Before he gave you Pastor Edwin, but after he put his blood to seal the covenant, he did something called leading captivity captive. He led prisoners of war. Demons aren't allowed in heaven. So he couldn't have been leading demons on a, you know how you see in the movies, they got all these, you know, they're tied and, and they're, they're captives and they're leading them like a, like a camel train, you know, as prisoners of war. He can't bring demons into heaven. So it's not Old Testament saints and it's not demons, but there was something called he led prisoners of war into heaven. It's a mystery. A lot of people don't understand what that means. Well, are you ready? Because this will flip your wig. It flips my wig and I don't even have one. Have a look at Isaiah 6.1 with me. Isaiah 6.1 gives us a glorious hint of what this is actually talking about. Then I'll close. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year, are you there? That King Uzziah died, I had a vision. And I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Now that's not choo-choo train. It's not a train like you think of a train. And so I did a, I didn't understand what this meant. And what is vanquished foes? What do you mean he took in foes to heaven? How could he bring in his enemies to heaven? That's heaven. That's where God lives. I didn't understand it for years. And I started to study and God showed me something that was just marvelous. Now the King James says the train of his robe. It says the train. But the Amplified Classic, the New Living says the train of his robe filled the temple. The literary Hebrew says the bottom edge of his robe filled the temple as a monument. How could, I don't understand. How can a, a robe fill a temple? It doesn't make sense to me. So I started studying, Pastor, and I learned something fascinating. Kings in ancient times and in Bible times wore elaborate royal robes to signify their majesty and authority. You could tell a king by the way he looked. He didn't wear regular clothes. He wore a kingly robe. The longer, which I didn't know, the longer the train, do you know what a train is? There's a robe, but the outer edge, the hem of it is called the train. Are you listening? The longer that hem was, the greater the king was. Because what they would do upon defeating an army, the conquering king would go to the conquered king and he would take a knife and he would cut part of his robe as a signification, I have taken your majesty and authority from you. 
And he would take part of the captive king's robe and he would sew it into the bottom of his robe and extend his train or his hem just a little bit. So when you saw a king with a train that was four feet long with a patchwork quilt because it had the train that had part of the robe of every conquered king that he had vanquished. And so when kings walked, you looked at how long their train was because that showed how mighty they were in battle. Are you with me? The longer the king's robe, the more victories he had won, the more authority that he had. Celtic sources speak of kings cutting off portion of the robe of defeated kings, adding it to theirs. It's same with Syrian uh, historical books and Babylonian and all through history. Persian sources, listen to this, state that their kings didn't always, because they were a bit snobby, the Persians, and they didn't always want to take, they felt the robes were too low quality for them of their vanquished foes. So you know what they would do? They would take gold thread and they would sew with gold thread into their hem the name of the vanquished king and his kingdom in gold thread and extend their robe just a little bit. So some looked like a patchwork quilt and others had gold thread with names in it. And the longer the king's robe, uh, the greater he was. And cutting was forbidden. If you ever cut a king's robe, it was punishable by death. Because it's made, it's, it, what it means was you violated his authority and you stole his majesty. So it was a capital offense by death. It basically means you vanquished him. That's why David, do you remember in the cave? He cut Saul's garment. Do you remember? That's why he was doing that. He was a symbolic act to say, I am vanquishing you. And God rebuked him. Do you remember? And he repented of cutting Saul's robe because God was saying, it is not your time to reign. And you will not dishonor, even though he's a jerk, that's the Craig version of it. But even though this man's a jerk, he's still the anointed king. And you will not dishonor him by cutting his robe. It was the greatest insult to a king to cut his robe. That's why when David cut it, remember, he went and he repented to the Lord for cutting it because it meant he had vanquished Saul, but it wasn't his time yet. Are you with me? Jesus had a robe and God in his symbolic genius would not even let the soldiers rip his robe. Because to rip the robe of Jesus would signify symbolically that they had vanquished the king. And Jesus was never vanquished. So God touched their heart because it was, an expen- it was, a, it was a, a Hugo Boss robe. Or maybe it was a, a Xenia robe. Or I don't know, but it was expensive. And God touched those greedy hearts to say, don't rip that. It's too expensive. Let's cast lots for it. It was not just, that was symbolic because Jesus' robe could not be ripped. It would speak that he had been defeated and Jesus was not defeated. <laughs> Are you with me? I'm almost done. So we see this and now we see this amazing statement. Isaiah looks into the future and he sees Jesus sitting on his throne. He saw the day he saw Easter Sunday morning into the future. He saw the day that Jesus brought his blood. And before he gave you your pastor, he did an amazing act. And he put a robe on Jenny. (laughs) 
he put a robe on in heaven. And if you study the Greek, he paraded around the streets of heaven after he put the blood on the mercy seat and before he gave gifts unto men. He led a train. You see that in, 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 in the Amplified? He led a train. A train. His robe had a train to it. He led a train of vanquished foes. And the train was so long that when he sat in his throne, the train filled that whole temple. Why? Because, oh my God, Jesus took gold thread. Maybe he had his his secretary do it. I don't know. But somebody took gold thread, pastor. They wove and extended his train with every single name of every sickness, every demon, every act of sin, every act of darkness, every act of maliciousness, everything of hell was written in his train. And the only king that has ever had a robe with a train that long was Jesus Christ the righteous. In fact, when he walked, the train was so long because there are so many names embroidered in that. No human king has ever had a robe with a train that long because no human king has vanquished everything. Jesus vanquished every single name. And Isaiah saw it, and he said, wow, I see his robe, but his train, his train, his hem is so long, it fills the entire temple. Why is it so long? Because in gold thread, cancer is written in that robe. Tuberculosis is written in that robe. Every name that he vanquished is in that robe. So, when the doctor tells you, you've got a growth, before you fall apart, say, thank you that I'm a covenant man and the blood of Jesus is on me. And Jesus, listen, you put your blood on that seat. But then you paraded around heaven with a robe that was so long. It filled the temple itself. Why was it so long? Because the name of my growth is embroidered in your robe. Why? You led a train of names of the vanquished foes that you defeated at the cross. And no matter what I ever face... Whatever I face, that name is in that robe. And one day I heard the whole... Now, listen, I'm telling you what God showed me. Because of a covenant exchange, you know, one of the things they did as covenant was give robes to each other. They'd give names, they'd give rings, they'd exchange money and gifts, but they also exchanged robes. Remember when the prodigal came back, the father gave him a robe. Remember when Mordecai was was elevated by the king, he gave him a robe of authority. A covenant exchange always includes robes. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you got born again, you gave up your piddly winky robe and Jesus exchanged 
his robe for your robe. And you right now, whether you realize it or not, you have a robe. And its train is so long, it could fill this whole room. And as you walk through life, be conscious. The blood is on me. The covenant breathes in me. And I have a robe. And one day I was struggling with a sickness. And I'm telling you, that was beating me down. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, son, turn around. So I turned around like this. He said, not like that. I didn't know what he meant at first. He said, son, turn around. And I turned around. He said, not like that. Well, like what? He said, do it slowly. He said, son, turn around. And I turned and he said, stop. And he said, now look behind you. I don't see anything. He said, you're wearing my robe because you're in covenant with me. Now the name of your sickness is engraved in gold thread in that robe. Son, look at the vanquished foe. My blood decimated that name. That name is vanquished. That sickness has no power over you. That sickness has no right to be on you. That sickness is an invading force and a lie from hell. Turn and look at your robe for you wear my robe because you're in covenant with me. Find the name in the robe and dance your way into healing. And I know it sounds crazy, but every now and then I'll just stop even though I can't see it with my natural eyes. But by faith, I wear a robe. I turn around and I look and I say, yep, I see poverty, I see you. Yeah, your name's in there, you ugly devil, I see you. You were one of the vanquished ones. Your name has been utterly defeated by my Jesus. He paraded you in shame around heaven and all of heaven danced and laughed at the names in his robe. People, you don't understand the measure of victory you own. No matter what you're facing, turn around. Look in the robe. It, Jesus victored over. He victory over it. He's the victor of it. He vanquished that thing you're struggling. If you're struggling with high blood pressure or migraine headaches, turn around and find it in the robe. It's in his robe. He vanquished migraines because he took migraines on the cross and he rose with his own blood and he said, it is finished now. It is, I have vanquished all. And he put the blood, Jenny, and it sealed it for eternity. And the devil shuddered because he knows there's nothing he can do now to stop it. He vanquished cancer. He vanquished high blood pressure. He vanquished nightmares. He vanquished fear. He vanquished poverty. He vanquished everything you'll ever face. That's why there are so many names. And when he went through, he must have been strong, Pastor Edwin. Because can you imagine a train hundreds of feet long? That's heavy. I just think weird. I think natural sometimes. I mean, it's spiritual, obviously. It's not heavy. But I'm saying Jesus is walking through heaven. And there's hundreds of feet behind him. And everyone is looking and saying, look at the Messiah. Look at cancer. Ha! Look at tuberculosis. Ha! Look, 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 look. Jesus is way on yonder. Look, the train's moving while he walks. Look, look, there's Lyme's disease. Look, 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 there's, there's scarlet fever. 
at that. Look at that one there. I haven't even heard of that one. That's a weird name. I can't pronounce it, but it's there. And then he sits on his, he sits on his throne. And Isaiah saw into the future. And he said, the train, boys. The train was so long. The whole temple was filled with names. Names of darkness. Names of sickness. Names of demons. Because he led a train of vanquished foes. What I'm trying to say to you is he put the blood first and then he, he promoted his utter dominion. Are you listening? And then he gave you a pastor. So what you need to do in life if you want to be successful is put the blood first. When you wake up, talk about it. Worship it. Worship Jesus for it. Remember your covenant. That's the first thing. And then as you go about life, no matter what you face, every now and then just turn around. It's in the robe. Utter vanquishment for everything you'll ever encounter is in that robe. And if you look, you'll find it in that robe. And because you're in covenant, he gave you his robe. I wear his robe, Jenny. He didn't put me seated in heavenly places beside him for me to have some broke down robe. I am seated beside him and I wear his clothing. I have his robe. I have the vanquishment that he, caught, that he paid for with his own blood. It's my vanquishment. He made me a victor with him. And all I have to do is say, no devil, no, no cancer. Can, can, listen, listen, cancer, you're stupid. You're stupider than I thought you were. I mean, I knew you were dumb, but you're really an idiot. Don't you know your name's in my robe? Don't you know Jesus vanquished you? So you have no legal right to touch my body. This is a covenant body washed and covered in blood. I curse you by the blood. I command you to leave me. Jesus vanquished you. When you believe that and you say it with all your heart, that cancer will dissipate and dissolve and dematerialize without chemotherapy and without even anybody laying hands on you. People that understand who they are and what Jesus has paid for them and the vanquishment, the totality of the vanquishment will live in complete dominion without the need of laying on of hands. I'm not against that because many Christians are not strong enough, so that's why God allows that. But you, your goal should not be to come up to healing lines for the rest of your life. That's for new believers and sinners that don't know nothing. Your goal should be, I know who I am. I'm a blood covenant man with a robe. I put the focus on the blood every day and I meditate on my utter dominion. And what else? I go to church. Three things he did. Put his blood, paraded the robe, and sent you a pastor. Three things you do. Meditate on the blood, meditate on your dominion and righteousness, and be faithful to your local church. Because without honoring the office, the others will not work right. You can't just leave that out, Pastor Edwin. Well, I'm saved and I've got vanquishment. I mean, but I'll just be a lone ranger sheep. It doesn't work. You need to have all three that Jesus did upon rising. If you put them in the same order that he did, you'll have success. Be a blood covenant minded person every day. Meditate every day on your dominion. No matter what you're facing, remember it's been vanquished. Just turn around and find it in that robe and laugh at it. Jesus beat you. I won't put up with you. The blood is against you and I curse you with the blood. The devil's afraid of that kind of talk. 
And number three, honor the gift that he gave you. Show up and be faithful. Be here every day the doors are open. Because when you honor the office and you honor the dominion, and you honor the blood, you've got the three things Jesus did when he rose, and you will have utter victory in your life. I'll close with this story. A man by the name of Maxwell White, who was Benny Hinn's pastor in Toronto, had a great revelation on the blood, has written some great books. He had a ranch in Arizona somewhere, and he came, Pastor Edwin, last story, and he was standing there in his house in Toronto. His kids were on the ranch by themselves, teenagers or whatever, back in the 70s. And Satan spoke to him in an audible voice. And he said to him, I am sending three rabid wolves to the ranch. This is in a very isolated area. There's nobody around. And they're going to kill your children. When you get there, they'll be dead. He heard a voice. So what did he say? Did he go? He said, I withstand you by the blood. Now he said, Father... I place a bloodline around my ranch property, around everything I own on every side. Let, listen to me, let the tangibility of the blood stand guard over my property until I get there. Amen in Jesus' name. You see, he had a revelation of the blood is a protective force. It's actually a weapon. He went to sleep silently, got on the plane, he got there, he had a little four by four, and he didn't have a fence because it's many hundreds of acres, but he had fence posts Along the way, every hundred feet or whatever, that showed his property line from the neighbor rancher's property line. And he started driving around the fence post line. And as he's going, brother, he stops and he finds a wolf right on the line. He picks the wolf up and puts it in the back of his thing and keeps driving. He finds a second wolf. He keeps driving. He finds a third wolf. Three wolves. He did the whole property. He took it to the vet and he said, test the blood. I want to know what's going on. And the, the vet came back and said, those three wolves have rabies. The devil said, I'm sending three rabid wolves to kill your children. Rabid wolves are crazy. You know that? Like they'll, 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 they're not afraid of fire. They're not afraid of guns. They're not afraid of anything. But he placed a bloodline. It's an invisible line to the natural, but in the, in the supernatural, it's a very tangible substance of the life of God. And when the demonic force in the form of a physical wolf touched the blood, it smote that animal and it dropped dead physically. Do you understand how powerful the blood is? The bloodline, rabid animals can't cross it. I was in a malaria outbreak in India. There were thousands of people. I was in the jungles. I didn't have any malaria pills. They said, don't go. I said, I'm going. God said, go. There was people dying everywhere. Didn't touch me. Why? I applied that blood every day. I said, Father, I'm a covenant man. That means you have to cover me. You have to protect me. And there were people dying all around me. And I didn't, they, they had doctors in, in hazmat suits being helicoptered out, heli-lifted out because the mosquitoes were getting through their hazmat suits. And here's little old Craig, 19 years old with t-shirt and shorts. I remember there's swarm, mosquitoes swarming around me. And I just, I mean, I know people think I'm crazy, but that's, that's why I wasn't afraid of COVID because I've been through worse. And I walked through it and I said, the blood of Jesus, you can't cross it. You can't cross it. Mosquitoes, you can't cross it. 
And I went through that whole time. Of course, I didn't contract it because the blood is a physical barrier against demons. It's a physical barrier against sickness. And that's found in Exodus 12, 13, and 23. The blood shall be a sign unto you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague, the plague, the plague will not be upon you to destroy you. Verse 23, when I see the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, I will cause the destroyer, that's demon power, I will cause the destroyer to pass over you. And it shall not touch you because of the blood. Read your Bible. In a lesser covenant, the blood protected them from all form of calamity. And in the New Testament, we're shaking in our boots over COVID? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? There is no room for fear with the covenant man. There is no room for anything but dominion. Because COVID is in the robe. It's part of the vanquished foe. So would you do that, my brother and sister? Would you wake up in the morning and meditate on your covenant and that you're washed and covered with that blood and honor it with your words? Would you meditate as you go about that you have complete dominion and you're vanquished through Jesus every name that has been given, his name is above it. And would you be faithful to the gift that he gave you? Because without that faithfulness, the other two don't work fully. And when you do that, you'll see life will start to turn. You'll think different. You'll talk different. You'll go places you never thought you could. You'll do things you never thought you could imagine because you're a covenant man. Everything is about covenant. You're covenant. You're blood-bought, covenant, dominion, men and women. Act like it and live it and enjoy your life. Hallelujah. And go and find some poor folks that are all shaking in their boots and bring them to church and say, if you just come with me, I'll show you that I'm a different species of humanity to you. (laughs) My unsafe family say to me, you are crazy. And I say, no, I'm not crazy. I'm just a different species of human. I tell them that. And they get very upset with me. What are you talking about? I said, that's because you're ignorant. That's why you don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm a different human. What do you mean? I'm a different species of humanity. I look like you, but I'm nothing like you. That's because of my blood covenant. That's because I'm born again. Oh, my God. Father, I bless you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for their kind attention, Father. Lord, I thank you as they meditate on these words on the covenant from this morning and this evening. I thank you that it will help set them free. My heart, Father, is ablaze. I can't believe that you were first born again and that you let me follow in your footsteps. I can't believe I'm a covenant man. I can't believe the blood is available to me every day. I can't believe I have a robe. I'm, van- I'm, a- I'm part of the vanquishment team. There is no name that is above your name and I am over every one of them. I can't believe you gave me a pastor. I can't believe you gave me a local church. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood covenant. Thank you, Jesus, for my dominion. And thank you, Jesus, for my pastor. I give you praise and I give you glory. And everybody said, Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.